I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a Cheeky Scientist radio show that is very special and has data hot off the press. It's our internal data. We rarely share this, but I want every PhD to be ready for 2021. Uh, A lot of career tracks uh, contracted in 2020, but many expanded. Those that expanded uh, were PhD level positions for the most part. I'm going to unpack this for you in this radio show. I'm going to go through all 15 of these career tracks. Now, this is based on data from January and what we have for February already, and uh, a lot of other analyses that we did forecasting ahead, just looking at the pipelines from our different global 500 partners, which positions, specifically which job titles and the, the descriptions for those job titles. I'm going to give you the description for these job titles. And I'm going to help you understand these descriptions from a PhD viewpoint. Nobody else will do this for you. I'm even going to give you some inside information on the type of PhD. Not your background, that's not going to hold you back, but the type of PhD that you are in terms of what you enjoy doing, certain transferable skills, even personality traits to help you match yourself with one of these top 15 positions. This is very important to do. And you know, every year we have thousands of PhDs that come through our programs and get hired, and you start to see certain patterns. Uh, you start to see PhDs at different levels of their job search. You start to see a lot of desperation. Unfortunately, most PhDs wait until they're in a very desperate situation to finally act on their job search because necessity, right? It's the mother of innovation. It's not until you move from moderate pain to massive pain that you finally take action. And when PhDs are, or anybody is desperate for a job, they'll look to take any job that they can. This is a giant mistake for PhDs who have spent so much time and effort in academia. They're so educated. They have so many different skills, and now they're reduced to begging for whatever job they can take. Then there's one level up from that, which is not much better. They go from begging any to taking any job to actually taking a job that somebody with a bachelor's or master's can do. Very often, because they've been in academia and paid so little for so long, they get paid less in that same role as somebody who has a bachelor's or master's. They get paid less than that person with a bachelor's or master's. And they often have somebody with a bachelor's or master's managing them. We write about this, I in particular write about this a lot in different articles. Uh, I've posted a lot on our social media platforms about this, and there's mixed views on it. Some people think, well, why can't somebody with their master's or bachelor's manage a PhD? Like, they can, they do, but why can't a PhD be managing people with their bachelor's or master's? Why can't a PhD do what any MBA can do? And they can. If you have a PhD, you've learned at the highest level. You've learned how to learn at the highest level. You can do anything that an MBA can do. You can get into management level positions. You should be targeting top positions. You should not be in desperation mode, accepting any job offer because you're panicked. You just lost your postdoc 
or you, you've graduated and oops, you forgot to create a job search plan for getting hired. Do not wait until you're in that desperate, that desperate situation. You have to start putting a, a job search plan together now. Now, if you are a little bit ahead, if you're acting intelligently, you're creating a job search, I don't want you to limit yourself to entry-level roles. I don't want you to limit yourself to roles that are not exceedingly popular right now, that are not in high demand in industry. I want you to target the best positions. I want you to get into the highest position possible that you can get into as a PhD and a position that's in high demand that is going places, not a position that is contracting or will not be here in five years. These 15 positions are all PhD level positions where you will be paid more than a lower level position in the same vertical for each of these positions. And I'll explain that. A simple example would be a, a data analyst versus a data scientist. A lot of PhDs, unfortunately, will get hired as a data analyst because they see it as easier. Then they work side by side with a, somebody with a bachelor's or master's in that same position, again, often getting paid less. Why not go for the higher level position as a data scientist, learn a few skills that you can easily learn, whether it's programming or some other technical skill. And then why not learn how to actually talk to executives, investors, how to communicate, how to translate technical data into business data, into actionable business suggestions. You can do all of this, of course, as a PhD. Number one on the list is patent analyst. Now, for years, we've recommended patent examiner, patent agent, patent analyst. This is what I love about job titles is they shift over years, sometimes in a matter of months, based on what's happening in the economy, uh, or just because a, a word becomes more popular, it becomes a buzzword. A few of these job titles uh, are buzzwords. They're just a very popular way of saying a position that's similar to a position that's been around for decades, but slightly tweaked usually because of technology or because of uh, the current state of the economy. So a patent analyst, similar to a patent examiner, more advanced, requires more research skills, more innovation skills, more analysis skills. PhDs are being hired into this role aggressively. It's under the intellectual property umbrella. What do patent analysts do? They review potential patent app applications. They work for companies uh, that are developing products, uh, they, they may assess proposed products, right? So products that aren't even created yet uh, to determine whether or not they can be patented. They, they have to do a lot of investigative work, right? They got to determine whether or not comparable items are currently patented or if patents uh, for similar items or products or treatments or services are already pending approval, right? So they have to ensure a patent application uh, will not fail legally and that it can be successful on the business side as well. Now, this is a, a position that's going to leverage your skills as a PhD, no matter what your background is, your, your research and analysis skills, your understanding of innovation, the understanding of the difference between mastering a field and pushing a field forward, right? That's the difference between getting a master's degree and a PhD. That is exceptionally valuable for this role because you'll be able to review an application. It's like reviewing a grant, right? Is, is there anything novel here or is it just regurgitating something that's been done before, that's been patented before. A uh, very popular position. We see a lot of PhDs getting into uh, patent analyst roles. Uh, sometimes you will hear patent researcher, but usually it's patent analyst. 
Number two, no surprise here, workforce decentralization has made the world rely even more on content. And medical writer, this is a buzzword, a job title that's a buzzword, uh, something that's been around forever as a technical writer or technical editor uh, um, has split into many different job titles. Under the medical writing umbrella, there's 20 to 30 different job titles. And I like to simplify it by thinking about it in terms of a spectrum. So on one end of the spectrum, you have highly technical writing, the kind of writing uh, where somebody writes down the label that would go on a Tylenol or Advil or ibuprofen uh, bottle, just as an example. On the other end of the spectrum, you have writing that would appear on social media, on a blog. PhDs get employed for this in, in marketing communications departments around the world. In the middle, it could be maybe uh, medical education. And the word medical, it's popular because it sounds more impressive. But really, that job title doesn't mean that you have to uh, uh, have any clinical experience. Very often, medical writers won't even work for a pharmaceutical company. Uh, biotechs have medical writers. It could just be a, a technical writer, a content writer, uh, a content editor. Because of your credibility as a PhD, your, your ability to know whether or not information is real or fake makes you highly valuable in today's world. So medical writers, they really, you know, scientific writer, engineering writer, technical writer, or editor, uh, they use knowledge and their writing skills to effectively communicate uh, this high-level information for different audience types. So you have to be able to write for not just uh, clinicians or people with high-level degrees, but you might have to write for the general public. You might have to be able to write something for that, that patients can understand. Uh, so there's, you know, there are a lot of medical writing roles in medical studies, drug tri uh, trials right now, regulatory uh, documents, uh, regulatory affairs departments hire medical writers. Uh, but there's a lot of marketing medical writing too. So a lot of writing advertising copy. They'll hire, they hire PhDs for this, especially biotech companies, writing white papers for a company, again, blog articles. Uh, so you have to look at this role and the many different options that are out there. Number three, I use this as an example at the beginning of the radio show, data scientist. So this term was used for the first time. The first time they could track it was uh, 2008. Uh, it was the, the heads of a data and analytics uh, department at LinkedIn and Facebook believe it or not. Uh, you can look this up. DJ Patil and Jeff Hammerbacher were the two people that uh, coined the phrase. Uh, and there's really two types now. We tend to focus a lot on those that are heavily involved in, in modeling and uh, you know machine learning, having to know Python, R, uh, different uh, computational uh, uh, computing programs, how to code, et cetera. But don't let that hold you back. Half of the data scientist jobs out there spend the majority of their time examining big data. So data cleaning, right? Analyzing the data. The, the biggest key here is can you translate your findings, your technical findings into actionable business advice? Can you translate the technical data into business data? You find a technical result, fine. Can you identify whether or not that's going to increase profits or increase revenue for the company or, or increase productivity? Can you communicate those results to an executive, an investor who doesn't have your technical knowledge? That is a much bigger part of being a data scientist. And you can learn Python. You can learn R. Many of you 
have worked in labs and have had to learn different software programs. If you know how an algorithm works in theory, you can create an algorithm. Okay. This is not the 1980s where this is highly specialized knowledge. You can learn this easily online or on the job. And that's, that's their biggest concern. As long as you're willing to learn on the job, you can be a data scientist. Number four, application scientist. This was my first role in industry, and it's the number one role. It's the number one, let me be more specific. It's the number one non-bench role that PhDs get into. Let me say that again. It's the number one non-bench role that PhDs get into, and it could be application specialist, application engineer. There are these roles for every type of PhD. By, there are so many of these roles, and all, all you are at the end of the day is a liaison. But this is a crucial role. You have to be able to speak again, and you'll see this theme over and over and over again for all of these top jobs. The number one skill you can have to get into any of these jobs is the ability to speak nerd and speak normal person. That's how I like to phrase it, because that's really what it is. You got to be able to speak in highly technical terms, but you got to be able to translate it into terms that the general population can understand people without your high level of technical knowledge. That is what will make you valuable. And if you can, the, the ease at which you can shift from one to the other makes you more valuable and will get you paid more in industry. As an application specialist or scientist, you are that liaison between a company that would produce, for example, a medical device or any biotech product, farm, pharma product, and the company that buys those products. The research institute or the hospital or the individual that buys that company's products. And you help the person buying the products, apply the product, right? Imagine like a research diagnostic tool, apply that to their work. And then you take feedback from the customer who bought it from their work. And you bring that back to the product managers, to sales and marketing, to the executives, and you communicate the voice of the customer. It's a great role to get into, especially if, and I recommend it, if you know you want to get away from the bench, let's say your backgrounds, life sciences, uh, physical sciences, you know, bench work, even, you know, engineering, and you've decided I do not want to do bench work. You know that for a fact, but you're not sure what else to do. Go into an applications position. It'll give you exposure to so many different options, all the different departments at a company. Number five, a product manager. Now, a product manager can manage an entire product at a company, can manage an entire product portfolio, let's say antibodies, right? Like a laboratory antibodies for doing experiments. There might be a hundred antibodies in a portfolio. They could put a product manager on those antibodies. So it just depends on how big the company is, how many products they have and how the company is organized and what the product is. A product manager can manage one feature of a software program. For example, at Google, there's a product manager for every feature of Gmail, for every feature of Google search, there's an individual product manager who develops and implements the most the profitable plans, right? To, to really position that feature or that product for the company's success. Again, translation, they translate technical details into customer benefits and they want to craft a compelling message. There's a lot of uh, marketing in this role. You have to understand things on the R&D side and you have to be able to communicate them in terms of marketing to customers. You'll work a lot with the company's R&D department and a lot with the company's marketing department. You, you'll analyze market trends uh, to help position your product 
You'll work with the research and development, the sales and marketing, again, the marketing communication teams to implement different strategies. Uh, the next role, and, and this is, the, I would say, the hottest term right now. It's one of the hottest roles, one of the most popular roles. And it, it's very exciting for PhDs because somehow, we're, we've been trying to unpack exactly how this happened, but somehow PhDs have been identified as the perfect candidates for this role. And companies as diverse as uh, Hilton Hotels, uh, Home Depot, so, so the retail sector, the hospitality sector, Hershey, uh, the confectionery sector, as well as the biotech sector, the, the pharmaceutical sector, they're all hiring user experience researchers, PhDs into user experience researcher role. Now, it's, it, this is a role, essentially, it's, it's a market analyst. It's been around for decades, but there's some differences. Okay, so in a user experience researcher role, you'll collect and analyze data to understand the reasons, the rationale behind consumer behavior, user behavior. Just about every company now has their own app certainly has a website. So you'll be tracking the, the quantitative side of the user uh, behavior through that app or through that website. But you will also work to understand the users qualitatively. All right. So the, you want to understand the needs and priorities of people interacting with the company's products and the company, uh, mostly online, but you know, also if, it's, if there's a store, you know, which which way do they turn, left or right, when they walk into a store? Uh, what's the first thing they tend to look at? If it's a grocery store, do you think it's just by chance that the produce department is the first department you see when you walk in? It's not. Produce right, has uh, an expiration date. It, it will perish. So they want people seeing the produce first and buying the produce first before they get sick of shopping. Think about that for a minute. A user experience researcher with a PhD realized that. And now grocery stores all over the world have produce right at the door when you walk in. Now, you'll also search for meaning, like I said, qualitatively with focus groups, in-person interviews, surveys to understand the customers and, and really how they live their life, their lifestyle. You, you'll want to approach it from uh, a position of empathy. You really want to understand what an individual is going through at the time they can purchase a company's products or when they're using a company's products. And this can be, you know, when they're going through a hotel site to book a room, uh, something is cheery and, uh, you know, fun in, in life is that of some people though, it's routine because they travel for business all the time. So they're going to be in a very different state of mind. They're going to have a very different experience. They're going to be looking for a different experience. Uh, obviously somebody that might be going through a, a, a treatment for a disease uh, that needs to interact with a, a portal to get their lab results is going through a different story. It has a, a different experience, needs a different experience. It's a great role to get into. We see a lot of interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary PhDs getting into this role, um, but PhDs from any background uh, have been hired and will continue to be hired in this role. It's the most popular for 2021, by far the most popular. Next, project manager. So not to be confused with a product manager where you're owning a company's product, a particular product or, or portfolio products or feature. A project manager owns the project. Project is different in industry than operations. You maybe don't understand the difference, but a project has a, a completion point, right? There's, there's four phases of a project in industry, unlike academia, where it's basically plan a little, 
maybe talk it over with your PI, more planning, and then you execute and it takes you a while to get the data. It's very structured in industry. People go to conferences on agile project management or Six Sigma project management. Uh, but in, but in uh, academia, the closest, you know, I guess, framework that we have is the waterfall method called the waterfall because you can't restart an experiment after you start it. You have to get the data first, see if it's negative data, and then you have to make changes. It moves much more quickly. and There's a lot more structure in industry, and they need managers specifically to manage the project. They implement the projects. They'll create uh, project charters, statements of work, right? They'll, they'll coordinate with people. They'll manage up a lot, very cross-departmental. They'll tell executives what to do and what they need from them to get a project done. You could be working with quality control, marketing, purchasing operations, and finance all on one project. You'll manage a project's scope, budgets, timelines. You'll produce status reports and much more. Number eight, regulatory affairs associate. Extremely popular position. The one thing that is uh, will always increase, not just in 2021, but uh, every year beyond, are the number of regulations that companies have to follow. Sure, sometimes regulations get cut, but the net is always an increase. There's always more regulations created every year than there are those that are cut. So regulatory affairs associates, they have to know all the regulations that apply to an industry or a company specifically, and make sure that these regulations are followed and documented at the company. So your ability to read complex documents and again, translate them, do you see that theme over and over? Makes you very valuable and is what's going to get you paid the most in these high-level roles where you can have a, the biggest impact and do the most meaningful work. That's why we're communicating these 15 roles to you. Uh, these regulatory affairs associates, they maintain knowledge of all uh, app applicable laws and regulations. They ensure that the company's internal teams, right? So they'll, they'll go through different departments to make sure that the regulations are followed. It's very cross-departmental. They'll review these processes, right? They'll establish their own guidelines standard operating procedures for every specific task to make sure right, that, that they're following the, the guidelines that most often come from the government. They'll investigate the laws, the guidelines, the processes. Very, you know, This is very important for the pharmaceutical industry, biotech, medical devices. They'll review data, update documents, check products, observe staff even, right? record, document, just ensure that all the regulations are followed. Very closely linked to the regulatory affairs departments, especially at pharmaceutical and biotech industries or medical is the medical affairs department. So a medical affairs associate, they'll work with regulatory affairs, but also sales and marketing. Uh, they'll work with uh, members of their team that go into the field that are called medical science liaisons, another very popular position, but different than this position I'm talking about right now. I'll talk about that one next. A medical affairs associate will be in house, right? They'll educate department members. They'll see that uh, customer questions uh, or clinician questions or, or patient questions are addressed, provide informational services to healthcare providers, ensure all written documents are accu accurate, adhere to the guidelines mandated by the government and other regulatory bodies. Uh, and, and again, there's a, a subset of medical affairs associates that are called medical science liaisons that'll go in the field and communicate directly with clinicians. And this is a very, very popular role for PhDs right now. More PhDs are hired into MSL roles than ever before, even more, depending on the data you look at, even more than PharmDs now, certainly more than MDs. This did not used to be the case even 10, 20 years ago. So what an MSL will do, it's a liaison position. Again, you're translating, you're that conduit, you're communicating between 
two different entities. In this case, the healthcare the, uh, officials, the clinicians, and the pharmaceutical company. So you'll you'll fulfill the responsibilities of the the pharmaceutical, but also you know sometimes biotech uh, companies as well. Uh, you'll act as these conduits of information from new uh, about new research developments, clinical trial activities, and therapeutic approaches. You can have what are called off-label discussions. A, a sales professional at a pharmaceutical company can only talk about things that are on-label that have been uh, approved by the government, by the FDA, if it's if, if it's the U.S. or similar uh, regulatory agencies in other countries. Uh, MSLs will cultivate; they'll maintain these relationships. So. The academic researchers, the clinicians, the leaders in the field, they're called collectively key opinion leaders. That's who the MSLs will work with, these KOLs. They'll present information to pharmaceutical product teams and mark uh, and the marketing teams for new therapeutic products. Uh, they'll also help market, right? They're helping spread the information for new therapeutic products to physicians and other healthcare professionals, right? And then they're taking back what the clinicians are seeing. So a clinician, so there's, you know, pharmaceutical company will make drug A. Uh, the MSL will talk about drug A with these clinicians, have the off-label conversations. The clinician may or may not use drug A on patients and then communicate how it's working back to the MSL who takes it back to the company. And because they have a PhD, they're able to have high-level conversations on both sides of the equation. Again, your ability to be a conduit of information, to speak nerd and normal person in a wide variety of, of, of fields in sectors of industry makes you extremely valuable. Number 11, clinical research associate, CRA for short. So they, they participate in the design, administration, and monitoring of clinical trials. They'll do uh, site visits to the clinical trial site. They'll analyze and evaluate clinical da data gathered at these sites during the, the research phases. Um, you have to ensure compliance. So uh, very similar in one aspect to a regulatory affairs role, but it's specific to clinical research. Uh, you have to make sure that right these client, client sites, uh, excuse me, clinical sites are complying with the protocols, the overall, and they're, they're going after the overall clinical objective. So it's almost like if you've worked in a lab, having somebody come into your lab every couple of weeks and making sure that you're actually making progress on the grant that the lab is on, right? Which would rarely be the case because <laughs> so many, uh, so many labs are on a grant, right? And they're using part of that grant funding uh, to research new avenues to get the next grant. Uh, but that cannot happen at a clinical trial site. Knowledge of FDA regulatory requirements is required or, or the other regulatory body, depending on the country. Uh, so they might require different, there's all kinds of uh, different exams you might have to complete. Uh, ACRP, COCRA, uh, you, you need to have a strong understanding, of course, of managing data, right? Of research analysis, strong documentation skills. Uh, you, you have to closely manage the site, projects related to it. Usually as a CRA, you'll work for a CRO, the contract research organization, who is overall responsible for helping manage this compliance aspect of a clinical site. Uh, whereas the, the research, right, if you uh, think of a clinical research scientist, they would be working uh, at the pharmaceutical company uh, that's connected to the, the, the clinical trial site. Very popular role. We see a lot of PhDs in this role. Um, I'm going to come back at the end here and talk about some of the differences, the different types of PhDs that should consider each of these roles. 
But what I want you all to know is, is that you do not have to have a specific PhD background for any of these careers that I've mentioned. Okay, number 12, what do we have? Four left. We are at number 12. Number 12 is business development manager. If you would have told me when I was in graduate school that uh, PhDs were being funneled into business development roles, I would not have believed you. A business development role, it's a very strategic role where you have to have a lot of business acumen. But what do they know about PhDs? You can learn on the job. You can teach yourself anything. They want you to come in. Why? Guess why? Guess what your main function in this role is? Once again, translation. Because you can translate. You can speak nerd and normal person. They want to bring you into nurture strategic alliances with other businesses. They want to bring you in to be able to work with multi, uh, 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 very different departments within that company, as well as different departments within another company to make big things happen. So you'll work with sales and marketing, product development, often company executives to, to look for really where big growth opportunity is. What is a big growth opportunity for a large company or even a mid-sized company? Let's say product A is doing very well in a certain market or even an overall country. Let's say it's doing very well in Canada. That company might want to take that product and expand it to Europe. That's a big project. That's a high growth project, high level strategic project that would be put as a project for the business development department. So how do you make that happen? You got to create a business plan. You got to organize things internally at your company across many different departments to make that happen. And then you have to create a partnerships with subsidiaries in Europe to be able to sell that product. That's a B2B relationship. You might go to other distributors and, and set up contracts with them. See what's possible to be able to distribute your product in Europe. Professional awareness, relationship building, negotiation skills are required. But guess what? Just like every other one of these positions, you don't need industry experience to get into them. In one sense, they're all entry level. You can be a fresher and get into any of these positions. It's just an excuse you're using not to target high level positions. Not having industry experience, being a fresher, whatever you want to call it, is just an excuse not to target these high-level positions, not to go all in on your job search. The majority of PhDs that have gotten into all 15 of these jobs that I'm discussing today did not have any industry experience prior to transitioning into their first role. These were their first roles. Very important for you to understand. Number 13, management consultant. The big three firms, right? So McKinsey, Boston Consulting Group, Bain, uh, many of the, the tier two, all the boutique firms, they love hiring PhDs because you have a specific skill here. <laughs> and I'm not going to use the word translation. I'm going to use another word, but all of these words mean really the same thing. The management consulting sector uses the word synthesize, right? So they want you to be able to analyze data and information that you will go on the ground at a company and collect and then synthesize that information to propose a solution to whatever problem you were brought on to solve. So if you work at a McKinsey, for example, let's say Pfizer, they're having trouble pivoting uh, since the pandemic. They couldn't let people in their labs, right? They had to do remote work, workforce decentralization. They have to keep all their business operations going. They're like a giant ship on the ocean that they have to keep moving in the forward direction. All the resources need to be put on operating because the company's so big. We're talking hundreds of thousands of employees. So to solve the problem that they're having, if the ship is leaking, 
They can't send their own crew out there to fix it. They hire a management consulting firm, an objective third party that'll come in and patch the hole. That'll get collect all the data from the ship, all the operational, internal operational data, identify the problem, synthesize it. There's the PhDs are the ones doing this on these management consulting teams and then recommend solutions to Pfizer to fix it. And then once Pfizer knows how to solve it, they can they have the funds, they can partner with whatever other company they need to, they can make the changes they have to make to stay in business. That's what you'll do as a management consultant. And it's a very exciting role uh, for PhDs. 14 and 15, well, I'm glad you stayed on for this. Uh, 14 and 15, these roles, uh, one of them will be very well known to you. The other one, likely not. So the first one is a, a R&D researcher, research scientist, research engineer, R&D analyst. Occasionally it's called, you're going to work in every area of a technical discipline, right? In science or engineering, very similar to what many of you who have worked in a lab uh, will have done, right? This could be medical research, geoscience, meteorology, pharmacology. I mean, it's diverse as all the fields you've worked in in academia, but the, the, the job title is very generic. Sometimes it's just called uh, you know, scientist three, principal scientist, principal engineer. Sometimes it's just called researcher or analyst. Seriously, that's it. You'll plan, you'll conduct experiments, you, you know, same on the clinical side as a clinical research scientist. There's just more documentation involved on the clinical trial sites, as I mentioned before. You'll record and analyze data, carry out field work, collect samples, present results, write research papers, reports, reviews, summaries. You're not going to write the peer-reviewed Papers you can find companies, you know, like Genetech and others that still publish quite a bit. But publication—that's not the name of the game. You'll want to get patents. You want to set up things that are proprietary. You want to protect your proprietary information, but you want to produce a product, a treatment, something that you can get into the marketplace uh, that'll make the company money. Finally, number fifteen: informaticist. Informaticist, right? It could be a sometimes it's an informatics specialist research informatics specialist or a clinical informaticist. Either way, you'll specialize in creating, testing, implementing, and maintaining applications for different research areas. You'll work with a wide variety of organizations, uh, or you can, healthcare agencies, right, consulting firms, all the R&D departments at any pharmaceutical or biotech companies hire these for these positions now. Because there's so much information, there's so much cloud-based information. There's data flowing into that company from different CROs that specialize in certain lab techniques that they're outsourcing. There's data flowing in from the business development partners. There's data flowing in from all the different labs at a large company. Who's managing all of this data? It's in a cloud-based system. There's, there's informaticists are helping manage this. Right? You'll be a, once again, here's that word, right? We, the translation word, right? the alliance word the liaison word in this case, you're, you're in a liaison between the different departments and locations, right? Helping in terms of the sharing of application resourcing, uh, resources, interfacing with vendors, customers, software, you know, software, there's a big software component here. Uh, you're helping create streamlined workflows for the data, for the data coming in, for the data being produced, for the data that's being analyzed, Right, for conclusions that are happening, you're, you're more working on the workflow aspect of all of this. So it's kind of like being in quality control, quality insurance, but on the information side, on the informatics side, the cloud-based management side. Right, so you'll determine perhaps the training need of the different research scientists in these areas, depending on how the company manages all of their data, all of their information. Uh, there's an educational component 
for this role that's not in other roles in R&D. You'll provide guidance uh, to management on how to implement new technology, right, that might affect the organization's workflow or might help them get to the workflow that they want to create. Uh, your goal is to have uh, create maximum, not just maximum efficiency, but maximum effectiveness of the systems, right? You have to understand their functionality and the different options, uh, especially in terms of software. Okay, so those are the 15 career tracks. I'd love to hear from you on Twitter. You can just do pound cheeky scientist, pound my career track. Would love to uh, love to see that. I'm saying pound, it's hashtag. <laughs> Be hashtag uh, cheeky scientist, hashtag my career track, or you can do hashtag cheeky scientist, hashtag, hashtag data scientist, hashtag cheeky scientist, hashtag regulatory affairs associate. Uh, you could do it on Facebook as well, but I'd love to hear from you if any of these jobs really jumped out at you. I'd love to know. I'd love to help you get into those roles. Uh, the way that we do that is with the Cheeky Scientist Association. I'm going to tell you uh, after this, I'm going I'm to give you a couple of insights about something coming up with the Cheeky Scientist Association. I'm going to tell you which type of PhD is right for each of these roles. That's how I'm going to end the radio show. Uh, go to phdsgethired.com though. You can learn about the Cheeky Scientist Association. We have something very special coming up next week. We have something called the Cheeky Scientist Association Rollback Event. The Cheeky Scientist Association Rollback Event. It's Monday, February 15th. Monday, February 15th. We are going to roll back the membership price to 2014 levels. 2014 levels. We have something uh, very exciting happening. We're celebrating the anniversary of the first Cheeky Scientist Association enrollment ever. I'm very, very excited for this. I'll be sharing a lot with everybody that signed up on our email list. You can go to cheekyscientist.com to sign up. You can even get something for free for signing up, our, our research, uh, our resume guide, our LinkedIn guides. Just go to cheekyscientist.com and click on the resources tab. Okay, so maybe one of these job titles was exciting for you, but which one is right for you? Ask yourself simpler questions. If you want a simple answer, ask yourself simpler questions. For example, do you want to have a client-facing role? Do you want to have a client-facing role? Now, you, now, every role, every top role like this, you could be put in front of clients. You could have to talk to them. But do you want one that is on-site or one that where you're going to be out in the field a lot facing clients? If so, the application scientist position might be right for you. The medical science liaison position might be right for you. There's a lot of site visits for clinical research associates. They may not be clients, but you're going to be out in front of people uh, a lot in that role. What role do you want? Do you want a writing intensive position? If so, regulatory affairs, medical writing. You could target these positions based on the activities you want to do on a daily, daily, daily basis. Do you want a data intensive position? If so, data scientist, right? This might be right for you. Um, obviously, research scientist. Uh, research informatics specialist, which I discussed. If you want a data intensive position, what is, and then you can start doing combinations, right? Make a list of these different characteristics. We have a list of these characteristics published in many of our blog articles. You can go to cheekyscientist.com slash blog, but rank the characteristics in terms of what's most important to you, right? Let's say you want a position that is client facing, but also data intensive. What, what about a position that has no client facing? 
You want one that pays well. What are the top paid roles, right? MSL is going to be one of the top medical science liaison. Maybe you want a role where you're going to have to work more with qualitative data, right? You're going to do more with focus groups, client facing, but it's also going to be data intensive, right? User experience researcher might be right for you. Maybe you don't want to really coordinate things cross-departmentally. You just want to be in one department. Now, again, you'll have to work with different departments for every one of these roles. And if you want to work with multiple departments, product manager, project manager, business development manager, but maybe you want to stay in one department, research scientist or research engineer, a data scientist, data engineer. Yes, all of them require some level of cross-departmental work, but there are different rankings. Okay, so, so first ask the ones that I think they're going to be the simplest for you as a PhD, writing intensive. Do you want to write a lot? You, you've had to write a lot. Do you enjoy it? If so, think medical writer. You can think patent analyst. Um, writing usually goes hand in hand with doing a lot of intensive research of other writing, right? So again, patent analyst, medical writer, uh, you can think of these roles. Um, if you just want to do a lot of data analysis, right? So more data intensive. You can think in terms of data scientists, of course, your, your informatics, your research scientists, like I mentioned before. Uh, if, you, if you want to work with regulations, documentation, regulatory affairs, medical affairs, clinical research associate, if you want to solve problems, you want to solve problems, management consulting, of course, again, you have to solve problems everywhere, but you want to go in and solve, like you want to be centered around one major problem that you're set to solve, right? Management consulting. But also user experience researcher, data scientist, product manager, bench or non-bench, number one top non-bench role by volume, application position, application scientist, application specialist. So make a list of the characteristics that matter to you. You can start with the characteristics that I just gave you. That, those are some of the ones that we see uh, PhDs rank as the most important characteristics when it comes to considering different job titles, uh, client-facing. Uh, remote uh, or in-house work, data intensive, right? So number intensive or uh, uh, writing intensive, the pay, the amount of pay. Uh, the one last one that I'll give you before we close this show, innovative or commercial positions. A lot of you haven't learned to think like this yet. You have the research experience. That's the R in R&D, but you have no development. Development's the commercialization side, getting something to market, supporting a product after it's in the market, distribution, et cetera. If you want to support something after it's in the market, product manager. If you want to do something that's more on the innovative side, I mean, really patent analyst would be one of the, the that'd be kind of the, the beginning of the innovation side, right? Right at the IP stage. But then you could get into the, the research and the informatics side. Uh, and then as you go through commercialization, there, there can be some that are in the middle or that span the entire spectrum, like regulatory affairs, project management. So think about the characteristics. Think about what you want. And consider these 15 positions for 2021. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com.
phds.com. That's phdsgethired.com, P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CHEEKYRADIO to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's Cheeky Radio, C-H-E-E-K-Y-R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000-plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CHEEKYRADIO at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button, and click on it, then enter the coupon code CHEEKYRADIO to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees, Nobody else offers this. PhDsgethired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD, and remember that knowledge is power and your network is your net worth.